whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until the morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came home to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. This is the word of the Lord. As we come to the third chapter, we all wear a certain set of lens when we read the Bible. Um, and the lens you should always wear is the lens that always looks for Christ. <clears throat> when you read Luke 24, on the Emmaus Road, he began with the law, with Moses and the prophets to show everything that spoke of the Redeemer that was in their midst. As you read the Old Testament story, it's not just a story. It's a storyline how God is going to bring a Redeemer to the human family, and everything in the Old Testament happens to be signposts. This is what it will look like. This is how he'll act. This is what will be accomplished. And so you keep looking for Christ. And so we're going to do three things here. We're going to look at the story, which is magnificent, and I call this chapter the romance of redemption because it's a love story uh, that is so beyond all of Hollywood and all of its get-in-bed-the-first-night stuff. It, this is a 
marvelous story. Here's a widow, a Gentile, poor, stripped, facing starvation, facing perpetual poverty, and who knows what is going to happen to her besides her mother-in-law. She's really become the breadwinner for the family. But she's got the social, racial stigma. She is a Moabite. She is a hated enemy of Israel. But she just happened to glean in the field of a man that was noble of character and finds out, and Naomi tells her, he happens to be a kinsman. Now, let's qualify that. When you read that word kinsman in the book of Ruth, 23 times it's used. Goel is the Hebrew word. 23 times. And this was the significance. According to Leviticus 25, if a family member lost their property due to poverty, and you find in chapter 4 that Naomi had already sold off their property. They had no property. They were just squatters wherever they were staying because of their poverty. That according to Leviticus 25, a kinsman could go and redeem that property. They could buy it back, and they were told to do it so that it stayed in the family line. They didn't want that property going. You know, when God allotted all the land, he didn't want Simeon to get more of the land than, let's say, Manasseh. He said, no matter, keep the land in the family it was originally given to. So a redeemer could buy back the land. Second of all, if you fell into hard times and had poverty, the kinsman that was to be a redeemer was to be your cover, was to supply your needs. According to Leviticus 25, if somebody killed a family member, a kinsman redeemer, it was his responsibility to go and see that that man was killed. He was not considered a killer or a murderer. He was considered a kinsman redeemer that could see justice was meted out fairly, Leviticus 25. And then there's another twist in all of it. Deuteronomy 25 said, if a Jewish woman's husband died and she was a widow and there were no children born to her, the next of kin who was not married, whether that was a brother-in-law, an uncle, a cousin, it went right down the line, he was to marry that woman and raise up children, and the child that would be born would be in memory of the deceased husband because God did not want family names to die out of Israel. He wanted to keep that family posterity going. But the Redeemer didn't have to do it. And if he was not willing to do it, in front of all the elders, the widow was able to take the sandal off his foot and spit in his face because he did not perpetuate the family name. So you never knew if the man around you that was a kinsman would be willing to be a husband. And this is the background when we come to Ruth. 
I, I, I've been told by Naomi, I have hope that this kind man will redeem. And look at the narrative. Naomi instructs this Moabite girl, this convert to Judaism, go and look up this guy named Boaz. He's our relative. He's a man that could redeem us. He could buy back our property. He might even marry you. Ah, that would really be a bonus. He's win he'll be at the threshold tonight taking care of the grain. I want you to go there. I want you to put on your Chanel Bethlehem best perfume. And remember, she's a poor widow, so she had no fancy garments. She, when Sessie dressed up, she, she didn't have much. She just had a cloak. She's a poor girl. She's in hard times. She could smell good, but she couldn't look good. She, I believe she must have been a beautiful woman. She's still young. And so she goes down to the threshing floor, and uh, she meets this man, startles him. He had eaten. He worked all day. And he was in a good state of mind. I don't think he was drunk, but he had worked hard. The harvest is coming in. He's in a happy condition. And so he goes to sleep. And in those days, they would sleep right at the threshing floor to be sure nobody stole the goods. And many times he'd have his servants around. They'd all be laying around there as a whole to protect the harvest. Didn't want to be raided. And if you read the book of Judges, uh, different people were raiding them all the time. So he's sleeping, and his heart's merry, and she comes softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. Now, some scholars make this a euphemism for sex, and it's the furthest thing away from what's going on. The, the Hebrew Bible knows how to describe sex. We've got narratives where it's plain. But the storyteller is discreet because it calls both Boaz and Ruth noble people. And it's the verse in Proverbs 31.10, a virtuous woman. This is a virtuous woman. And this is a virtuous man. And she's at his feet. She's not in his bed. There's nothing here. But at the same time, why would she say, uh, put your garment, watch. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. ESV, I'm reading. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now, what does your Bible say? Ah, because in previous sermons, I told you the Hebrew word, the Hebrew word for this is translated hem of a garment or wings. Now, look at what his prayer for her in chapter 2. Look what he prays in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings 
under whose garment you have come to take refuge. And the garment, many times the Arabs and the Jews, when they were going to take a woman to be their wife, they would put their garment around here. She's spoken for. She comes under my covering like a mother hen who will protect. And that garment was a symbol that you've come under not only divine protection, but you've come under the protection of a man that wants to be your husband. And that's what she was hoping for. Not just that you'll buy the land back, but I need a husband for to be a widow in the days of the judges. And to be a widow in Bible times was usually poverty and bad times. Many times turned to prostitution. Many times you nearly starved to death. I need a redeemer who will throw his cover over me. I need somebody to have mercy on the plight of me and my mother-in-law. And besides that, oh, Boaz, if you only knew, I'd love to be your wife. And according to biblical custom, a widow was to initiate asking the man to marry her. That was the custom. She's not out of line. She's coming, and she's appealing to him as a relative a relative that has kinsman redeemer rights. I'm asking you as my kinsman, as one according to Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25, you are able to throw your covering protection over me and get me and Naomi out of this plight. Spread your wings over me. You know what is amazing to me in the narrative Watch how you pray for somebody. In chapter 2, he said, I pray you'll come under the protective care of God. I pray you'll come under his wings. And guess what? She in chapter 3 says, I'm here to see God use you to protect me. You ask for God to do it. I'm going to take you. God wants to use you to answer your prayer. Have you ever prayed a prayer that you're really the answer to it? Lord, help my brother, help my brother. And James says, and John says, if you say you love your brother and you see him and he's needing, you say, be full, be clothed. We'll bless you three times. And you get down here about half block and your conscience says, why, you know what? You've got all the means to meet their need right now. Why don't you buy them lunch? Why don't you get them a garment? Well, well, well I, I just pray for needs. I never want God to use me to meet them. Be blessed. Well, I'd like to be blessed. What would you do to bless me besides say, be blessed? I hear them on your prayer sheet. Am I on your obedience sheet? That's why I don't like to pray for many folks. If I'm serious about prayer, God talks to me to what to do. Write them a note. Ask what they need. You're in need? Go see Tim. My ministry is to discern need. May God bless you. May God rich come under the wings of Jehovah. And here in the middle of the night, a little widow woman says, I'm here. 
And I think Jehovah might want to use you, Boaz, as the answer to your prayer. Would you put me under your wings? I need a redeemer. I need a kinsman that would cover me and protect me. Well, uh, he is just stunned. Of course, he's awakened in the night with a, basically a proposal. Yeah, I mean, I, I went to bed. I'm having good dreams, and now I'm having a nightmare. A woman wants to marry me. You know, you just said, it's like folks that get married, at first you see stars, and then you get married and find out it was sand. It really wasn't stars. So you got to be sure, you have your eyes checked before you get married. And he said in verse 10, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. See, he understands the symbolism. He understands what she's asking. Put your garment over me. Uh, uh, marry me. Buy back the property. Naomi and I are in great straits. And, and he says, boy, I'm complimented that you would even consider me. Because he might have been in Naomi's generation. He, he seems to obviously be quite a bit older than this young woman. And he's complimented. He said, you've not only been good to Naomi, but now you're choosing to be good to me, a senior to you, and I never thought a young woman as pretty as you would ever want me. And, he, and he's, he's complimented, and now my daughter says probably the age. I, you know what I find myself doing? Uh, it's maybe uh, my father and some southern roots. I find myself calling young men son all the time. Son, do this. And my dad did that all the time. Southern people do that. Son. Now, I don't do that with daughters too much because I've got them. But son, do this. And it's really, it's dearly beloved. It's a, a term of endearment. And, and he's saying, daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy, Proverbs 31:10 woman, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. You see there? I, it's not I'm just a man that can get married. I'm a redeemer man. I'm a family member that's able to redeem. That's what she's, hear me, hear me women, hear me men. It is all important at whose feet you go lie down before. You can lay your life at the feet of a lot of men that aren't ever going to redeem you. They're going to ruin you. You got to look for a redeemer, not just a man. I mean, I just wish we were able to tie up hormones in young people until they got enough sense to know how to get married. The choices we make when we're young, the basis of which we judge, the basis on which we're attracting, but here's a woman, I'm not just, Boaz, I'm not just looking because you're old enough and breathing and you've got money. He, he was a well-off man. But he says, right, I know you're a redeemer. You are able to fulfill Leviticus 25 and Deuteronomy 25 to me, this Jewish proselyte Gentile. 
I'm asking that you exercise it. Now, here's the problem. Listen to me. Here's the problem. To be a kinsman redeemer required three things. You had to be related to the family. That's the kinsman. You had to have the means to deliver them from their plight, whatever that was, economic. Even many Jews sold themselves into slavery to fellow Jews to pay off a debt. Now, every seven years, they could be released. In the year of Jubilee, they could be released. But if you'd sold yourself into a Jewish family, your relative could come along who's got money and pay off the debt and set you free from that slavery. But as we'll see in chapter 4, there is a kinsman nearer in family relationship to Ruth than Boaz. And it comes to the third element of a kinsman. I might be able, but it doesn't mean I'm willing. And if I don't want to, I don't have to buy you back. If I don't want to, I'm not going to buy you out of slavery. I don't care what the law says because nobody was obeying the law in the book of Judges as a whole. They were in apostasy. And this is when this story is happening. Terrible times. Do you suppose? It's amazing that Boaz is the kind of man he is in the day he lived. But here was the issue. I've got kin folks that's got the money to get me out of trouble. But my problem is, can I find anyone willing to get involved with me, a widow woman that has nothing but poverty to offer? And Boaz says, you found a willing redeemer in me. I will go as quick as I can. Listen, verse 12. I'll pick up 11. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Here is the key of the story. What makes a redeemer willing to purchase? What makes a redeemer willing to marry a widow who brings nothing but stigma? It's called love. Love found a way. And what made God ever want you for his own? God wants to form a bride for his son, Jesus, called the church. It's made of Jew and Gentile. I ask you, why would he be willing to take a former enemy and a former uh, poverty-stricken, rebellious, enmity-driven soul and get them in the family. I must say this to you. This is striking. Hear me well. There is no redemption for anybody that's not in the family. There's no redemption. If you're outside of Christ, he's not your redeemer. His crosswork avails not for you. You must be born again. 
You must say, I need to come into this family where the Redeemer takes care of his own. When I receive Christ, I come under the birthrights of a family member. I, to them who receive him, he gives them the right to be called the sons of God. Some of you have never received Christ, and you're not redeemed. You don't have a Redeemer. You can't have a Redeemer until you come and put yourself at the feet of Christ and say, I'm broke. I'm destitute. I don't have a future without a Redeemer. I don't have a future without a Redeemer. And you must come and say, I must be born again. I receive Christ at his feet. And he's not on a threshing floor. He spent six hours on a cross, three days in a tomb, and 2,000 years on a throne. You must put yourself at his feet. It's your only hope. you got to get in the family, and then you've got a redeemer. Outside of Christ, there is no redemption. I don't care how much religion you've got. I don't care how much you genuflect. I don't care how many masses you go to. And I don't care how many offerings you give or how many times you've been baptized. It's when you come in your poverty and your rags and you lay yourself at the feet of Jesus and say, I have no future redeemer unless you take me in. And she puts herself at his feet. And then she's told that to go back and he tells the men, don't let it be known she's been here, not because we had sex. Once again, some make it this way, because I want to protect your reputation. You're a worthy woman. I don't want town gossips to make up a story about you. Go in the early morning before the sun comes up. And by the way, put out your garment. And he pours enough grain in there that only a peasant woman could carry it. You know what the estimates have been? Some say it was 200 pounds. That's impossible. She couldn't have done that. Others say that Boaz put up to 60 to 80 pounds in this shawl that they say a peasant woman, because Bethlehem's right there, could take home, and guess what? That could feed Naomi and Ruth for two months. Nobody ever comes to this Redeemer and leaves empty-handed. You can't come to Jesus with your problems and go away without him filling your heart. He'll fill your heart. He'll fill you to overflowing. Everything you long for, you've been at the feet of other men, but they never have fulfilled you. You've been at the feet of other people. They have never fulfilled you. You can try all the sex you want, try all the drugs you want, Try all the money, all the spending, all the ego trips. You'll still be empty until you come and meet this Redeemer. He not only buys you, he fills you. He gives you more than you'll ever be able to hold. My poor heart cannot contain all that he's poured into it. And sometimes I leak out. And then I met, I read Dwight L. Moody and he helped me. And he said, the only way that cracked vessels can remain full is to remain under the fountain. Remain at his feet. The safest place in all this world is at the feet of Jesus. 
Is, you know, when Mary, when her brother died and Martha was falling apart, Martha's in the kitchen and you hear the pots and pans and the wailing and, and going on and said, and said, where is Mary? Where is Mary? Get in this kitchen. And all of a sudden, she went in the front room and Mary was at his feet. Wasn't wailing. She was being comforted. See, you can run to all the therapists you want, and you can take all the drugs you want and all the prescriptions. The way to have peace, he who wraps his mind around Jehovah, God will keep him in shalom, shalom, the Hebrew says. Isaiah 26.3, thou will keep in perfect peace him whose mind, and the Hebrew is woven around Jehovah, and God will give shalom, shalom. When you put your heart around this God, he will give you a peace you can't describe. Now, let me show you a verse in John 10 that I think amplifies Christ, our Redeemer. Some have described the death of Christ as cosmic child abuse. Cosmic child abuse. They say that what happened on the cross was cruel. How could any father do this to his son? How could God the Father, if he's loving, see that his son was nailed to a cross? He must not have been a powerful God if he can't get his own son out of this kind of a dilemma. Think of it. The most hideous death of the day and it seems like God is silent and God does nothing to intervene to rescue the son. And some say, this is cosmic rape. This is cosmic child abuse. It's in the literature. It's shocking. It's blasphemous. But it's what they've said. So, let's ask, was Christ a willing redeemer or an innocent victim of a divine plot. Listen to what John 10 says. Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd of himself lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, and let me read it in the Greek, because I of myself, middle voice, the Greek had an active voice. I hit the ball. They had a passive voice. I was hit by the ball. But then they had a middle voice that says, I participate in the action of the verb. And he said, I for myself, I myself lay down my life that I may take it again. 
No one, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. When they came to get him in the garden, Matthew 26, Peter had his sword, and as the soldiers came close, whoo, just like that, the soldiers' ears cut off. Just like that. Jesus says, Peter, put your sword away. Put your sword away. If I wanted to get out of this, Peter, I could call 10 legions of angels. And one legion is 6,000. So let's take 60,000 angels, and in the book of Kings, one angel killed 185,000 people. So let's multiply 60,000 by 185,000. There's not that many people on the earth at that time. I can get out of it. Why did you do it? Listen, hear me. If you don't get anything else, Jesus is the only willing sacrifice in the whole Bible. There was never an animal that said, please get me. Slit my throat for Yom Kippur. Slit my throat for the Day of Atonement. There was never a sacrifice that the will of the sacrifice participated in its death. Christ the Lamb is the only one that willed to die and had a will. Everyone else, it happened to them. With Christ, I lay down my life. I am a willing redeemer of my people. Why? Why will you step up for Ruth? Because I'm a redeemer and because I've come to love her. And as I thought on this message and the Christ that I see here, I uh, drive it in the car. I ask God uh, one big question. Why? Why did you save me? Why? Why did you save anybody? We don't deserve to be saved. And unless you find a redeemer, you never will be saved. You know what's beautiful in coming to this redeemer? Ruth doesn't know it. But it's going to change the family tree in Israel in remarkable ways. Poor Ruth. She's got a mother-in-law that is ever coming back to town. And the woman said, hello, Naomi. Never call me Naomi again, which means pleasant. Call me Mara. I'm a bitter woman, for the hand of the Lord has been against me. I went out full. I come back empty. There's no future for me. Oh, Naomi, you don't realize you're just about to become a grandmother and you're about to get in the line of the greatest king Israel ever had, the line of David. And besides that, you're going to get in the messianic line. Naomi, Ruth, Imelech, your family is going to be in David's genealogy, and the book of Ruth was written when David was the king. I want to tell you how I got here. I want to tell you about my great-great-grandmother. I want to tell you about my grandmother, Naomi, Ruth, oh, dead, on down to me. 
there's something you must know. When you put yourself at the feet of the Redeemer, it may change your family tree forever. Before I, uh, I moved up here from Fresno, I was going to school at a Mennonite seminary and uh, living down there, and I, I sold Bible study tools. What else? I, I was connected with the radio station, and so I would do a lot of driving as a salesman and a crippled woman, Elsie Schaefer, um, would give me McGee tapes, and I was always listening to McGee preach. But I went to a service before I came home, Assembly of God Convention in Fresno. And I went there, and I, I heard a man preach. And he told a story I've never forgot. And it went like this. He said, there was a man uh, whose family was godless back in the Midwest. Uh, the family were not church people. And in their part of the country, they used to hold all kinds of tent meetings, revivals, they called them, and things were going on in the neighborhood. And their dad got curious, and one night he went to the meeting went back another night. Before you know it, dad had become this Christian and their home was different. It, it was just, dad had changed. They hadn't, the wife wasn't a Christian. The kids weren't. But the dad developed some strange habits that the family were bugged by. They couldn't figure it out. And one of the habits was every morning he was missing. They never could find him. Uh, he, five o'clock in the morning, he'd be gone. And um, the family were concerned, what's going on? The wife never asked him about it, but she was curious. So what did she do? There's three or four kids. She got a hold of her eldest son, says, I want you go to bed early tonight, and I want you to find out where your dad is going in the morning. He's up to something. I want to know what he's doing. What makes a man leave our house at five in the morning while it's still dark? Sure enough, the boy got up early, and sure enough, dad was leaving the house while it was still dark. Son was of some age and knew how to track. They said, Dad walked, and he walked, and he walked to the edge of this small town, and uh, the boy came back, and he reported to Mom, and she said, well, well, what's your dad doing? Told the story. He walks out of town, and he goes into the forest. She said, track him again tomorrow. What in the world is he doing? Is he making moonshine? What's going on? What are you doing in the forest? The boy got up, and he said, I got up for weeks to track my father. And he said he would go out of the edge of town, he, uh, and he went in the woods, and I finally went in the woods with him, and he said there was a tree stump there, and he said his daddy would kneel down, and he could hear him praying, and he'd be praying, and when he got done, he got up, went back to the house and had breakfast. 
Well, in a matter of weeks and months, his wife got saved. A matter of weeks and months, all four kids got saved. And so one evening, they're all sitting around the table, and uh, the wife said, Honey, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you this. What's that? Says, uh, your boy's been tracking you for weeks every morning. We were concerned about where you go and what you do in the morning. And uh, he said that you go in the woods and you kneel by this tree stump, but he's bothered by something. And the dad said, what is that? He said, he kept hearing you pray, Lord, you promised but you promised me, but you promised me. I'm claiming your promise. And she said, what was the promise? He said, uh, I want to be sure I get it right. Hold on. Acts 16, 31, this is the promise he was claiming. 30 said, he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And he said, I've been praying Acts 16.31 on my knees every day since I got saved. He said, Lord, you promised me. You promised me. Change my family tree. Save my wife. Save my kids. Because Ruth made a trip in an evening out to a threshing floor and lay down at the feet of a kinsman redeemer who put his cover over her. It changed their family tree forever. She went out full. She went out with the prospect, somebody is going to redeem me in chapter 4. We'll see how it happens at the city gate. If you're here today, you know what you really need? You need to get into God's family. And if you're just a church attender, we're glad to have you. But I don't want you to go to hell having gone to this church for years. And we have many people that have come. They like the people. They like the donuts. They like something. But some of them aren't in the family. They've never put themselves at the feet of Christ and said, all I bring is rags. All I bring is poverty. I need a great Savior. I need a Redeemer. You know, no one's ever come to him that he's ever turned away. No one. No one has ever come. He said, come unto me, and I'll give you rest. And if you read Naomi, the Hebrew word, she says, I want to find you rest. And the Hebrew word there means rest or security. I want to find you a husband that was throw his protective blanket over you so that you have a future. Christ is my redeemer. It's not just an Old Testament story. You must always see what analogies there are to Christ. For we are called to preach Christ above everything else. Christ. Our Father, some here do not have a Redeemer. Some here are not in the family. 
and there's no redeemer outside of this divine family. I was going to hell all the time I knew Jesus was the answer. I just didn't come. I didn't come. I didn't know for sure if he would have me. But I found out he was willing. It was me that was not willing. I want to say Christ is willing to save you today. He's willing to be your redeemer. He's willing to be the payment for your sin. But you must be willing to come. If you will not come, you will perish. You will perish. Come. Come, I beg of you, to Christ, and you shall be saved. And I hope you and your household, for the glory of God, 